A Blue Ridge family is suing the school district over sexual assault allegations. University of Illinois basketball player Ayo Dosunmu was named USA Today Player of the Year. More on these stories, I'm Kelsey Watsonauer. And I'm Sierra Henry. And this is Lee Enterprises Long Story Short. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Long Story Short, where we recap Central Illinois news from Lee Enterprises journalists. Uh, before we jump into local government news, let's talk about Governor J.B. Pritzker's announcements this week. On Thursday, Pritzker unveiled a bridge phase to reopening. This phase can begin when 70% of seniors age 65 and older have received at least their first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. As of Thursday, 58% of seniors age 65 and older have received the vaccine vaccine for some perspective. This phase also depends on 20% of ICU beds being available. Under this bridge phase, businesses and other venues can begin operating at higher capacity levels, which is super exciting for many of our local businesses and arts organizations. Tim Egger and I spoke with a number of local businesses and organizations this week about what this phase means, so if you want to read more local reactions or what this phase means for specific areas of the state, head on over to pantograph.com and check out our story. Pritzker also this week widened the eligibility criteria for vaccines. Starting Monday, higher education staff, government workers, and media, that's me, will be eligible to get the vaccine. Starting March 29th, food and beverage workers, construction trade workers, and religious leaders can receive the vaccine. And now, onto some local government news. Kelsey, what's going on with the Bloomington parking garage? City of Bloomington leaders may soon consider the future of the Market Street Parking Garage, a 47-year-old parking deck in downtown Bloomington. In its upcoming fiscal year budget, the city has included a $100,000 line item in its proposed $60 million capital project fund to hire a consulting firm to evaluate the structure. This garage, used by several downtown Bloomington businesses, has a lot of history, which reporter Tim Eggert highlights in his story this week. So to read more about the potential fate of this parking garage, read his report at panagraph.com. In normal, the Illinois Attorney General's office this week determined in a non-binding opinion that the town violated the state's Open Meetings Act twice in 2019. A public access counselor wrote that the town's policy of not allowing public comments to remain to the public meeting agenda was against the act and that the town violated the OMA when Mayor Chris Coos would not prevent mayoral candidate Mark Turritilli from addressing the council in a September 2019 council meeting about an open seat on the Connect Transit Board of Trustees. Uh, the counselor in a second letter stated that the town violated the OMA when it would not let Karen Smith, who is also now on, on the town council, uh, speak about the demolition of the Trail East building. Since the town admitted its, its public comment policy, the attorney general's office is not recommending any further action. Also, the town's attorney, Brian Day, has dismissed both of these opinions, saying that the counselor failed to properly explain his argument. Um, if you want to read more about these cases, check my stories out at panograph.com. And now we're going to start with our newest section, health. And this is basically an addition to our podcast because we have a lot of health-related news uh, going on, some more features in the health field as well. So we're hoping to sh- share all, all of that with you today in a new, in a new segment. So Kelsey, tell me what, what's going on with our seniors Panagraph reporter Lindsay Jones talked to McLean County seniors about their experiences through the pandemic. Some spoke about the isolation they faced, while others found a pseudo-family within their community thanks to friends and neighbors reaching out and checking in on them and even picking up groceries. 
local agencies like OSF Peace Meals, the East Central Illinois Area on Aging, and the Activity and Recreation Center in Normal also shared their experience with closing doors while also trying to care for these communities. To read Lindsay's full story check and check out photos and videos from Dave Praber, be sure to head over to Panagraph.com. In preparation for expanding vaccination eligibility, the McLean County Health Department is anticipating a shipment of more than 6,000 vaccine doses next week. As of Friday morning, more than 55,000 doses of the vaccine have been administered in the county, with around 11.5 percent, that's 19,867, people having received both doses. McLean County Health Administrator Jessica McKnight said Friday that around 70 percent of all adults 65 years and older have received at least one vaccination shot. To read more COVID statistics in McLean County, read Lindsay Jones's report at Panagraph.com. Going into some education news, Kelsey, we got an update on uh, a former District 87 board candidate. So tell me, what happened with John Reed this week? We, As you all remember, we did talk about John Reed and his um, comments in our last episode. So Kelsey, what happened? John Reed, who was in the running for a spot on the Bloomington District 87 school board, officially withdrew from the race on Tuesday. If you'll remember from last week's episode, Reed drew major social media backlash after some high school students made a video calling attention to some of the offensive posts he made on his personal Facebook account. Since early voting in the April 6th election has already begun and the ballots are already certified, Reed's name will still be on the ballot, but any votes he receives will not be valid, election officials said. His departure means the 87 race will no longer be contested since four candidates remain and four seats are open. For the full story and to go back and read last week's report, find my story at panagraph.com. Now let's head down to Decatur for some uh, a little more positive news. What's going on in Decatur, Sierra? Decatur students are heading back to school on Monday after more than a year of remote learning. The last time they were in their classroom was March 13, 2020, the day Governor J.B. Pritzker ordered all Illinois schools to close because of the coronavirus pandemic. But now, after sorting out transportation issues and setting up a schedule for a hybrid learning, the district is ready to be back. Herald and Review reporter Valerie Wells talked to some very excited teachers about welcoming in their students. So if you want to hear more from them and get all the details about the plan, be sure to find her report at herald-review.com. Valerie also had a story this week about Decatur Superintendent Paul Frigo announcing he will be leaving the district at the end of June. Uh, find all those details at herald-review.com. Big moves for University of Illinois in basketball. Woo, woo, woo. What's going on, Kelsey? It's the most wonderful time of the year for Hoops fans. That's right, it's March Madness, and the Fighting Illini came out strong Friday afternoon, securing their first NCAA tournament win with a 78-49 victory over Drexel. The first seed University of Illinois men's basketball team dominated the second half at Indiana Farmers Coliseum in Indianapolis, doubling their points to finish the round one game. Kofi Kochburn put up a game-high 18 points for Illinois, and an Ayo Dosunmu finished with 17, as well as earning the title of USA Today Player of the Year. Matt Flatten has full coverage of the game, and more March Madness stories are definitely on the way, so be sure to head over to herald-review.com to read more. Keep up with the very exciting team. 
Uh, well, exciting news for basketball fans or hoops fans, as Kelsey has said. Uh, Friday Night Lights are returning this spring, and sports editor Justin Kahn wrote everything you need to know about this year's football season. Though the sport is returning, there are some key differences. A limited season, masks, and spectator caps. In his guide for area high school football fans, Kahn details everything you need to know when planning to watch your favorite team. Since each school has a little bit of a different policy for spectators, Kahn wrote that fans should make sure that to call the host school ahead of the game for a detailed entry and capacity rules. To read more, check out Kahn's full story at jg-tc.com. And now, uh, Kelsey's going to tell us about a Blue Ridge family who is suing the school district. Yes, a Blue Ridge family is suing the school district after they say their seven-year-old daughter was repeatedly sexually assaulted on a school bus in plain sight. The lawsuit was filed Tuesday in the U.S. District Court for the Central District of Illinois and claims the first grader, who is identified only as Jane Doe, had her civil and constitutional rights violated. The 14-year-old boy mentioned in this case has been criminally prosecuted for sexual abuse of Jane Doe and another girl. Because she has Down syndrome and an individualized education plan, the lawsuit also claims that plan, which the district is legally required to follow, was violated when the aides who are to sit with her on the bus moved out of their seats to allow the teenage boy to sit there granting him access to assault her. Two aides and a bus driver are also named in the suit as well as the school district. Now this was filed Tuesday and as of Friday afternoon the district has not returned my request for comment. This lawsuit is fairly layered and includes several additional claims so if you want to read more and follow along be sure to find my story at panagraph.com. The daughter of a Bloomington nursing home resident who died of COVID is suing Peoria-based operators Peterson Health Operation. Anita Martin, whose mother Marlene Cowens-Hill died after contracting the virus at Bloomington Rehabilitation and Healthcare, has filed a wrongful death lawsuit stating the nursing home failed to properly respond to the pandemic, resulting in gross negligence. Officials for Peterson declined to comment, but in court documents, lawyers have said the center is shielded from litigation under the Federal Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act for medical countermeasures against COVID-19. The Panagraph will continue following this case closely, so if you want to read more about what this lawsuit is and what's been going on at the nursing home, read health reporter Lindsay Jones' story at Panagraph.com. And moving away from uh, courts and more into the crime field, quasi, the city of Decatur and community organizations plan to host a gun buyback on April 2nd in response to an uptick in gun violence. Brendan Moore reported this week, the event called Decatur Community Day of Peace will give anyone who turns in a gun cash, no questions asked. The amount of cash depends on the weapon style, with $350 for assault-style rifles, $225 for semi-automatic handguns or revolvers, and $75 for shotguns, $35 for AR-15 magazines, and $25 for semi-automatic magazines. Guns must be unloaded to be accepted. Read Brendan's story on the event and additional coverage on all that's been going on in response to a string of violence in the city at herald-review.com. Now let's move into some uh, community news. Sierra, I know you uh, talked to a lot of residents in the past week. What did they have to say about what's been going on in their lives? Yes, um, I spoke with a gentleman, Jermaine Somlar, about his struggles during the COVID-19 pandemic with unemployment and uh, bills that keep piling up. Jermaine, like many people in McLean County, is struggling with unemployment due to the pandemic and unemployment with um, paying rent, mortgage, utility payments. I've spoken with uh, community organizations talking about this looming housing crisis that is 
in I, I would say like probably the majority of the state uh considering there's like a state and federal wide uh, uh eviction moratorium so if you don't know there's an eviction moratorium preventing uh landlords from evicting their their tenants but because tenants are unable to pay their payments or rent mortgage you know all of that because of uh, being unemployed unable to get assistance from the state unable to get all the documents needed to apply for state and federal grants there's this level of frustration building up with landlords and experts in McLean County fear that there is a looming house housing crisis uh, the good thing is that there is there is money here um, getting the word out about where that money is is kind of the issue and um, making sure that people are compiling the documents that they need there's kind of there's a lot of legs to this story that I'm probably sure that I'm going to be following up on in the coming months um, people have had issues applying for unemployment they have had issues applying for these grants uh, they don't have the documents sometimes they don't have like say this program requires you to have like the last three months of bank statements well I spoke with um, Prairie State legal lawyer um, Adrian Barr and he said many of his clients don't have bank accounts so how can you provide bank statements when you don't have bank accounts so these barriers have really caused an issue for uh, residents who are struggling and in need of assistance and in getting assistance and that's pretty much what the crux of the story is so if you want to read more about what's going on um, if you're struggling with unemployment and, and bills and utilities read my story check out the organizations call 211 they'll be able to direct you one thing that good that kind of happened early on in the pandemic was um, and we've written quite a bit about this but um, United Way, PATH, um, Mid-Central Community Action, they all came together and they, they created a one-size-fits-all or one form. So basically you call 2 on one they give you the form, you, you say what you need, where you're like, I guess, your information, and they'll direct you to the organization that can help you the most. And um, so check the story out, check PATH out, check 2 on one out at pantograph.com. Let's, uh, on... Let's get off that heavy note <laughs> and talk about something a little more fun. <laughs> so, um, there's, there's, a uh, it's March Madness, if you didn't notice. Um, so Kelsey's going to tell us about not March Madness, but something similar <laughs> to March Madness. Got all the best March Madness news. <laughs> Two local restaurants have made it to the semifinals in the Illinois Pork Producer Association's annual pulled pork madness tournament that was a mouthful probably just like Sorry. all this barbecue is <laughs> so annie eats of bloomington and notorious pig of decatur yes are two of the 16 semifinalists in the competition which seeks to name the best pulled pork in the state so congratulations to those two businesses uh for making it to the semifinals we're glad to see you we're glad to see you proudly representing Central Illinois in this uh, March Madness-themed tournament. Um, I will have to admit I haven't had pulled pork or barbecue in probably five years now, so like any opinions I have on it are irrelevant. But listen, we prep for this. Sierra has so many opinions. Sierra, take it away. Um, yes, I have a lot of opinions about. <laughs> pulled pork and barbecue because I actually really hated 
like barbecue. I was not a fan. And then I moved to North Carolina and I had Eastern North Carolina barbecue, it, which is like very different from any kind of barbecue I've had here in the Midwest, which, which I don't know. Kelsey was trying to say that not all barbecue in the South or the Midwest is the same, which I feel like it is because I've always just had like this, well, at least at our barbecue that we would have like in the in illinois it would be like this red sauce and it's sweet and it's just i'm not a fan of it it's like tangy and i just know but eastern illinois or eastern north carolina barbecue is like made it's just straight vinegar it's like a liquid it's not the thick sauce it's not a sauce it's a liquid and it's like a juice that you put on your barbecue so it's like Yes, 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 yes. I was explaining it poorly before, but it's like the recipes that I've, because I've tried to replicate it, because the first time I had it, I was like, this is not barbecue, but it tastes, it, I like ate, I don't know, a couple plates of it, because we used to go to this restaurant called McCall's. Uh, that's where we would go for like, um, it was like a buffet in North, um, in Goldsboro, uh, or Goldsboro, as I should say. Um, that we would go to to celebrate birthdays, people leaving the newspaper. <laughs> um, I'm sure it was a rare occurrence. People, people coming to town um, to visit, you know. Um, it was also a favorite restaurant of me and my friend Avi's, so we ate there quite a bit <laughs> together because uh, you could get a lot of barbecue and coleslaw. I really became, I really loved it. <laughs> But it is, Eastern North Carolina barbecue is different from the rest of the state, which is more mustard-based um, barbecue, which is what you were talking, which is yeah. what Kelsey was talking about earlier today to me, not on the podcast. <laughs> I thought you were about to call yourself a connoisseur of no. barbecue, no. and I was going to, mm. I'm not a connoisseur of, <laughs> I'm not a connoisseur of anything. <laughs> well, I have had um, my fair share of barbecue in my life, it just, uh. You know, I stopped eating that a while back. Um, but one of my favorite places to get barbecue was um, 17th Street Barbecue. It's in Southern Illinois. And they have, like, so many different... It's, it's just a platter of meats. <laughs> and, like, they have different kinds of sauces. I like spicy stuff. So, like, the traditional barbecue sauce that you're thinking of when you're talking about hating it, Sierra. Um, that's sweet. I don't really like that. I'll, I, I like a barbecue sauce. It just... When it's overly sweet, it needs to chill out. There shouldn't be that much brown sugar in all of your sauce. Um, but I, I, since I haven't had it in so long, I haven't delved into all the different kinds. I know like Kansas City barbecue is a thing. I know Texas barbecue is a thing. I know. I mean, I guess Tennessee is—is is that its own thing? Yeah, I, I think know. Tennessee has its own barbecue. So, and I never liked coleslaw to be honest. So like, I feel like that's sacrilege in the world of barbecue and I'm not supposed to admit that out loud, but here I go. <laughs> I never, I didn't think I liked coleslaw and then I had coleslaw when I moved to North Carolina and I was like, I do like coleslaw. It's cabbage. I like cabbage. So it made sense to me that I would like it. But then like, I would watch like Steve, our county reporter. He kind of looks like Santa Claus. Actually, a little girl, like, at a Christmas parade. Steve was taking photos. She was like, look, Mom, it's Santa. And Steve was like, I'm just here. <laughs> um, Working. <laughs> no, nah, I love him. But I saw him, like, he would 
mix the coleslaw and barbecue together and that was like an interesting thing with North Carolina barbecue because it was vinegar and the vinegar with the barbecue and the coleslaw like mixed really nicely so I, I I enjoyed that now Austin and I went I bought his tickets for his birthday one year to see the Eagles play um, against the Titans which now forever um, Ticketmaster thinks I'm a freaking <laughs> Titans fan and not an Eagles fan so I get stuff about the Tennessee Titans all the time but it's like um, that was really fun Oh, am I saying it wasn't Memphis? It was Nashville. Did I say Memphis before? You didn't say Memphis. Okay. You didn't say I just say. If they know where the Titans are, they know where. Okay. Well, in my head, I said Memphis, but I it's Nashville, obviously. But we were we had some really good barbecue in in Nashville, and we went to some really awesome like um, rooftop bars. Nashville. Like and saw some really good live music. I mean, I. I love. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed Nashville. So, home of country music. But I am not a country. I am not a country music fan. So that's what's surprising about it. But I did enjoy. I did go to the Country Music Hall of Fame because my boyfriend likes country music. Um, a couple things to draw from that. I have only eaten coleslaw because um, I went to a wedding and. They're like, so we have meat or meat? So I'm like, I guess I'll eat coleslaw. And it was not enjoyable for me. <laughs> <laughs> I had coleslaw and baked beans. That was my meal. <laughs> but Nashville, I was just going to say, I love Nashville. It's one of my favorite cities. However, I will not go down Broadway Street. It's not for me. It's like, you, you, we probably were there and didn't realize it. It's like country music concentrated into like three blocks of intensity that I'm just not interested in. I, I love Nashville. They've got a lot of great food, great music, great people. It's like a pretty young city now, so that's fun, but God, I don't, I can't go on Broadway Street. <laughs> no, I was gonna bring it back. I was gonna bring it back. Um, we also really liked uh, the, I've had hush puppies before, like in, um, Illinois, but always associated with Long John Silvers, but, um, in North, at least, it's probably a Southern thing, but, like, we would always get, like, you'd get a barbecue plate, it'd be barbecue, coleslaw, and hush puppies, and I was always told, I don't know what story that you were always told, but, like, hush puppies, what my grandpa Henry told me were, they were like that battered that they like the uh, cowboys fried and um, there would be dogs like barking as and, and they would be riding through the night and then they would they would throw at the dogs to like try and get them to hush. be quiet to say hush puppies hush puppies to feed them the fried batter I don't know if that story's true I've my family my family me and um, my grandparents I think especially just have a habit of saying the most outlandish things and just like pretending that it's true and like people just accept it like one time I straight up told my boyfriend at the time that um that you in the olden days that the way that you got a black belt in karate was that you just you started off with a white belt and it just got like dirtier over time and then that like signified your and he he believed me he didn't question me so the truth like you just got to be confident with what you say sorry this is like not we are so far off topic but well, one thing before we wrap it up i googled it and wikipedia agrees with your hush puppy story <laughs> <laughs> the name is often attributed to hunters fishermen or other cooks who would fry some basic cornmeal mixture and 
feed it to the dogs to hush the puppies during cookouts or fish fries. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Wikipedia says I'm right. All right, so that's going to do it for us today, folks. If you're enjoying this podcast and our reporting, uh, be sure to check us out at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. While you're at it, head on over to Pantograph.com, Herald-Review.com, and JG-TC.com to look at subscription information and consider supporting hashtag local journalism.